Welcome to my podcast, Coaching in Nature. My name is Dr. Andrea Sibylla Clausen. I am a coach and a medical doctor. Here you'll learn everything about how you can improve your life, your personal well-being and the well-being of our planet. You get amazing coaching and health tips and you will meet inspiring guests who all have one thing in common. They love nature and they care about our planet. My guest today is Chantal Richard. Chantal and her husband Stefan founded Ashia Cheetah Conservation in 2016. It was always the question to bring these cats back into the wild. This meta population is in urgent need of, uh, of new genetics. Ashia's mission is to prevent the decline of cheetah population in southern Africa. Welcome, Chantal, to my podcast, uh, Coaching in Nature. Yeah, we know each other since, I think, 15 years, nearly not 20 years, but something like this. We were neighbors in yeah. Frankfurt. <laughs> yeah, something in between. Good morning, Andrea. Thank Good you for having me. Yes. And I know from our times in Frankfurt that... Um, that you loved cats very much. So this is what I really remember about you. <laughs> uh, during this time, the cats were a bit smaller than today. <laughs> they were, definitely. I still have the small ones, but uh, now we have the big ones as well. Yeah. Ashia is the African name for hope and life. And uh, yeah. this This basically reflects both sides of your Ashia project because the hope is to prevent the decline of cheetah population in southern Africa through Ashia's release and reintroduction program uh, that you will tell us more about uh, in the interview. And the other part is that you're offering the best life for animals who cannot make it in the wild at the Ashia uh, Cheetah Center in Pal. Um, that is um, uh, about an hour drive away from Cape Town. So, dear Chantal, tell us about how it all started. How it all started? Well, our life plan for my husband and me was always to move to South Africa, to get involved with the conservation of big cats, and especially cheetah. We just fell in love with cheetah. They are um, the most approachable of the big cats and the most vulnerable at the same time. So it all started uh, with the purchase of, a, of the farm in Pal you just mentioned, and um, it was a working farm which we turned into the present uh, cheetah center. That's how it started, and from there it, uh, yeah, it developed into the present uh, into the present project. Today we are a nonprofit organization uh, involved in in release, reintroduction, and also um, impromptu uh, rescuing of of cheetah, injured cheetah in the wild, which we can take for rehabilitation to the center. So yeah, we have all kinds of, of animals at the center today. So it can happen that people phone you um, just you know out of the blue and um, they contact you that they need some space, a place for a cheetah um, that is injured. Yes, everything we do, the release or the rescue, whatever, it's always in, 
in close coordination with the EWT, the Endangered Wildlife Trust in South Africa, um, and also with, uh, with conservation and, and uh, scientific bodies, conservation authority, national and international authorities. So everything is, is done with these entities. So if there is a cheetah in the meta population that gets injured, then sometimes, well, <laughs> most of the times, Ashia gets a phone call. Uh, if we could help rescue a cheetah or if we could help uh, with funding for the, the uh, veterinary costs and things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And maybe you can tell us some highlights or successes or even maybe obstacles that you experienced during the last five years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, um, the first, um, the first uh, major step was, of course, our official opening, 18 months after we started the project. And more important, it was also um, the, at the same time when we had the opening, the first female entered our release and uh, reintroduction program. So that was a big step that we could open the sanctuary or the Ashia Center in Pal and at the same time start what the main goal was to release cats back into the wild. You have a lot of, of cheetah centers or sanctuaries, uh, but that wasn't, it was never the question to, to stop there. It was always the question to bring these cats back into the wild because breeding in captivity without a final release back into the wild, there is no conservation value in that. So yeah, that and then uh, well the the next big steps were the first cups then born to these once captive cats. Um, meanwhile, I think about ten cups born into the wild. That's for me the success, and uh, yeah, that's why we I get up every morning and <laughs> work so hard for for cheetah. Um, to see these cups being born in the wild. You asked also about the obstacles. Yeah, so exactly. if it comes to, to rewilding or if it, when it comes to captive breeding, the cynics and critics are very easy to find. Everybody told us it can't be done, it will never work, these cats will die, they will not hunt. We proved otherwise. Um, the cats are hunting, they are surviving. Some do better than others, others but bottom line, it's a, it's a success story. Also, um, the obstacles also came from, from conservation authorities and, con and people involved in conservation because unfortunately captive breeding, um, sometimes all the peas get uh, thrown in one pot you have cheetah breeding for the pet industry. You have cheetah breeding for wealthy Arabs. Um, and then you can have cheetah breeding for, for conservation purposes. And I think you just have to, to follow the money. And if you do these things with, without any commercial interest and we donate the cats, we donate these cheetahs to the reserve. When we release a cheetah, it's donated to the reserve. There is no money involved. We pay for, to bring the, to raise this cheetah. Um, it's all funded by our Shia. And uh, at the moment we don't accept uh, other um, funding parties 
Adashia because we want to control this process. We want to keep it in our hands. Yeah. And the recent uh, research project, there is a specific process with um, the uh, EWT. Maybe that's also interesting to share how you do this. Yeah. The, maybe the background of why we, we are doing it. Today we have under 7,000 cheetah left in the wild. And um, these cheetah, this cheetah population is a population of populations. They are cut off by fences, by roads, by human settlements. So in, in order to avoid inbreeding, you have to swap these animals between the reserve to artificially bring or connect these animals. Otherwise, mother and, and, and son would breed. So you have to swap these animals between the reserve. And, and we, at the moment, we have about 63, 64 reserves in South Africa called the meta population. And on these reserves, there are over 400 cheetah living. This is coordinated by the EWT, by the Endangered Wildlife Trust, and a, a, a very important guy, Vincent van der Merwe, is uh, yeah, uh, the coordinator of, uh, of this project. Yeah, it is, at the moment, there are already third, second and third cousins um, introduced on reserves, so these this meta population is in urgent need of, uh, of new genetics. And new genetics can't come from wild roaming cheetahs outside the meta population because you can't, you can't just catch these wild cheetahs. There aren't as enough anymore. So it can only come from the captive industry. It can only come bring new genetic lines, new lineages into the meta population from the captive industry. And that's what we do. So our main um, research study that uh, we are funding at the moment is with, with SUNBI, the South African National Biodiversity Institute. Uh, I think it's the biggest um, genetic study ever, ever done, with at the moment four, over 400 samples. We get more and more in. Um, so with this, with this uh, genetic study, we test the relatedness between the, the animals in the meta population so that we make sure that any cheetah we introduce to the meta population is not related to these cats. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. it's very interesting because nobody did this before. So it's, it's quite a, a very unique process. And yeah, maybe it's also interesting. People might not know what might happen if there's too much inbreeding. Maybe you can also um, tell us about the consequences of inbreeding and what you know what's um, what's happening. Yeah, the main consequences of inbreeding are, of course, health issues. These cats can develop crossed eyes. They have shorter tails. They have crooked legs. So anyhow, it's uh, the survival rate of the of the cheetah cubs is very low. Uh, it's 30 to 40% of the cubs that survive in the wild. And if then you add to that um, health problems through inbreeding, um, then the survival rate will even go down. Now it's really amazing what you're doing. And um, 
another question that comes to mind. So you, you only operate in, in South Africa or are there also other um, countries involved? We brought the first cheetah to, to Zambia and uh, Malawi. Uh, at some places where these cats were reintroduced, they haven't been cheetah for a long time, for decades. We reintroduced cheetah. They're mainly these um, uh, parks where the cheetahs are brought back, um, managed by African parks. It's vast um, environments. It's um, sometimes 90,000, 100,000 hectares, so bigger than the average reserve in South Africa. And they basically restore the, the whole biosphere down. They basically restore the whole environment. They don't only bring back cheetah, but uh, game species, all bigger animals, elephant, rhinos, lions, leopards. Um, it's a restoration of, of the former habitat, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because, I mean, cheetah is one, one piece from the whole restoration process, but also an important predator um, to, to develop the, this, the area, yeah. Yeah, it's a key, key predator. Exactly. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, right, right now, how does COVID and the climate crisis um, affects your work uh, at Ashia and, and the team? Well, um, COVID, in, in this sense, the direct work at Ashia, at the center, is not, uh, is not affected so much by COVID, of course, we had to stop the tours with guests. We had to stop the overnight stays. Volunteers couldn't come anymore. That is starting again. They can't. They can come. Uh, uh, South Africa is open again, uh, but of course, everyone, everybody is hesitating. So, um, yeah, it affected our income side, but um, on the same. At the same time, we were sitting down and we thought hard about the project. What, what do we really want to focus on? The focus is more and more and more on, on the conservation side. We probably will not take up again the tourism side, the overnight um, guests staying for a night or two at Ashia. Uh, we offer now for um, volunteers, for working holiday guests, stays. We, we think with volunteering, with interns, with working holiday, you can, if you want, educate or bring the idea of, of saving these species or saving any species much closer to people than when you stay one night. So we, we dropped a lot of things and we focused even more on, on the on the core idea of Ashia. So in the end, it was not bad. It makes, you have to think about, um, you have to think about what you do and you have to adapt. I mean, like, like the cheetah, we, we take it from a captive environment, we bring it to a wilding section, um, it learns to hunt, then it goes to a reserve. So it constantly has to adapt to new um, new situations to new environments. And I think that's what we have to do at the moment as well, just adapt and refocus um, and, and make the best of it, yeah. I think the volunteer work and the staff um, at Ashia, I think they, they have a specific process to monitor the cheetah. And I think that's also very, for me, what was very impressive when I was introduced to this, this um, monitoring. And regarding the rewilding, 
how do you decide with, uh, what cat can make it in the wild? Are there any criteria you, you can share with us? <laughs> well, um, basically every cat which is healthy and young enough can make it in the wild. Um, we, we prepare them well at Ashia and their, their diet is already according to a wildlife diet. We only feed game meat, we only feed every third day, so they have fasting days. Um, we train them in, we have a running enclosure, we train them and then you can already decide if the cat will be able to survive. And then they go to wilding sections, which we have on several reserves. It's sections up to 600 or up to, in some cases, up to 5,000 hectare, where these cats can then learn to hunt and train their hunting skills, etc. And once they have hunted for two to three months and don't, don't need any supplementary feeding anymore, um, then we, we bring them um, uh, out to reserves in coordination with the EWT down. Through the EWT, we know which reserve is looking for a female or a male or a coalition. Um, and then you get in contact with the reserve. Then we do a, a thorough check of the reserve and the background. Is there enough prey? How is the financial situation of the reserve, etc.? Um, and then we, we decide which cat uh, would be um, best for, for which reserve. I think that's that's a very impressive and, and uh, like step by step approach and and so far um, very successful so well. Uh, what can people learn from cheetah you know, around adaptation, collaboration, and survival skills? Obviously, they in their genetics they can they know how to hunt even when they're born in captivity. That's what you proved. Um, what else is remarkable about these cats? Ah, they they look very fragile. They look um, finicky, but in the end, they are really hard and smart survivors. Hunting, uh, relying on its incredible speed, so they they really adapt. And I think that's what we can learn. They never give up. They always fend for themselves. We have a cheetah in Adashia uh, who broke his le her leg. And she was surviving like half a year with a broken leg, just probably feeding on hairs and, and small things she could get. So they, they, are really, they are really hard and very smart. There's an, another female, she jumped into an enclosure. She escaped the reserve and then on a, on a neighboring reserve, she jumped into an enclosure with, with eight lions and she survived for eight months with these eight uh, lions, tigers, sorry, with these grown up tigers being a 20, 22 months old young female. So she was really, really super smart. And I think these, these examples show me what we can learn from these animals, how we have to adapt to life. And, and especially in, in, in situations now, we have to find new ways of interacting with people, of connecting with people. And I think we also have to, to go back to, to nature and reconnect like it's your cradle to reconnect with nature and, and have a new respect of nature again. And I see it with a lot of friends who were busy with working, etc. And now suddenly we are a bit thrown onto ourselves or back onto ourselves and 
suddenly people go out, out and, and, and uh, go hiking and experience nature. So I think it's, it's, an, it's an important, uh, yeah, it's an important thing to, to watch nature and learn from nature again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really uh, believe that this is this is a very important aspect of um, of these times and also the future. And you're creating a lot of hope for the survival of cheetah because it's a highly endangered species. And um, so to make this a long term success um, in the next decades, what you, what what do you think? What what does the cheetah population need from us? human beings or you know governments tourism uh wildlife conservation industry what what would be important also to to make sure that that the success is is a long-term success <laughs> we we have to we have to stop the the loss of their habitat the fragmentation of their habitat we have to control poaching uh wildlife trafficking and and all these things it's it's nice to name them but it's very hard to to really put them into place you need new laws but even if you have new laws people always find a way around germany still has a, a quota a trophy quota for a cheetah or five cheetah trophies per year is that right to do with an endangered species why is it done so we really we really need a new approach towards wildlife and um, tourism is is an important part for for conservation you see it in an extreme uh, way at the moment with covid because the reserve which we talk to they struggle uh, with income of course uh, so they have to to lower their staff, they, they don't have the income to pay the fence guys, they don't have the income to pay the security staff. So poaching is on the rise everywhere. So yeah, I think uh, uh, conservation can't survive anymore on just on donations. Uh, it has to rely on, on tourism, it has to rely on also on, on people who, who, who are willing to, to invest, who are willing to spend their money um, to experience um, restored nature, to experience these reserves. And you can't expect to have a, a holiday on a reserve and pay the same thing than when you go to a little island and on the beach. It's more involved. And I think all people that are open-minded have to be open to to pay a little bit more for conserved areas. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting aspect to be really aware that um, you know a specific form way of tourism that it's also supporting the animals and and the long term success of rewilding. I think that's that's very that's very important. So what was one one of the most amazing, surprising, or emotional moments, or the most difficult, dangerous, or even tricky situations with a cheetah that you personally have experienced so far? Maybe you want to share uh, something that happened to you or that you observed. Over the years, there have been so many emotional, more emotional. I 
can't remember a tricky or dangerous situation with a with a cheetah so far. If you respect the animals, if you if you give them space and and let them be, cheetahs are not um, dangerous. They are not. Uh, uh, aggressive, uh, they will always choose to run away and, and, and avoid any conflict. I mean, they are not very territorial. I uh, said, so what can we learn from them? They are not territorial. They, they are not um, fighting. They avoid injuries. Um, they are forming coalitions. They are work together. They work together. They, they are very good in team working especially the males in these in this case so i didn't really have a tricky situation where i felt i don't know in danger with a cheetah emotional moments of course the i think the most emotional moment was one of our first um, females that we wilded um, she was very close to me and I was there when she was born and I was there when she grew up, uh, etc. So we knew each other very well. And uh, the first time I saw her on the wilding section, she was already hunting. Um, she heard my voice and she, she came to me. So this was emotional, but a month or yeah, months later, I was back on the reserve and uh, she was there. She just had, she had just made a kill. And um, I looked at her, she looked at me and it was, yeah, I know you, but um, in fact, I don't have to come to you anymore. So that's where I had tears in my eyes that she was independent. She chose to stay away. She didn't come to me anymore. She didn't need me anymore. I think that these moments are very emotional. When you see that these animals uh, have arrived at the place where they are meant to be. Yeah, no. no, that's that's a really touching story. Yeah, we're coming uh, slowly to to the end of the interview. So how can how can get people involved with a Shia or volunteer? How is how is the process? It's volunteering. It's you can become an intern. We have uh, students, uh, for example, another we we talked about the sunbeam research another research we are doing at the moment is with the Stellenbosch University and it's a student from the university who is doing um, a big study about the success and the adaptation of the released cats on reserve so it's post-release monitoring uh, during the wilding phase but especially post-release how are they coping with their new life are they successful how long does it take to find their feet on the reserve so that's how students can get involved with Ashia. we are funding this um, study yeah and then working holiday guests you can choose whether you want to work for the day or whether you want to see the, the nice things on the in in, in western cape so it's, it's up to you if you work or if you travel around. So volunteering, working holiday guests, interns, um, students, um, and we involve our volunteers, of course, a lot when we transport animals um, from our Shia to a reserve, from a wilding section to a reserve. They are always involved, but I would say um, it's such a big offer that uh, uh, the best is to have a look at our website at uh, ashia.co.za 
uh, and see about all the possibilities how you can how you can get involved. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I will I will put the link and, and uh, more details on mm. the on the show notes. My final question. Chantal, I know that you're all the time in, in, in the wild, more or less, <laughs> but is there still a very special favorite place you want to share with us or something that is on your bucket list? I don't really have a favorite place because I'm, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just a bush girl and when I'm in the bush, I'm happy. I can sit for hours watching cheetah mom with her cups or watching lions or um, sitting at the water hole and just watching the interaction between zebras and other game. Um, so I, every, every reserve we see has its own charm and, and uh, qualities and, and attractions. And so I don't have a favorite, a favorite spot in, in Southern Africa. I just want to be out on my bucket list is something that has nothing to do with, with cheetah, in fact, but with cats, of course. So, and that is uh, the, uh, the jaguars in the Pantanal. That's still on my list. That was on our list last year, but then COVID came. So COVID affected us <laughs> in the end with uh, some travel plans. Yeah, but that's still on the list. I want to see the jaguars in the Pantanal. And I heard they, um, not in, in Brazil, but in Argentina, they are launching uh, rewilding with jaguars. So captive breeding and rewilding with jaguars, which I've just read this week, which are, in, to me, they are good news. That's interesting. Yeah, now I hope that's soon possible. Yeah, thank you so much, Chantal. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation and um, yeah, I hope to be back soon in South Africa and uh, yeah, visiting Ashia and having more adventures together in wilderness. <laughs> so, thank yeah, you. I hope you continue with bringing people out to, to nature and uh, connecting people with nature. One of my best experiences while traveling was a walking safari um, in, in Zambia. And it's a, it's a very different thing when you are on eye level with, with wildlife. You get much, you get humble and, and very respectful. So I think bringing people back to, to nature and, and uh, connecting them with nature is an important task. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Chantal. These were great last words. And yeah, keep well. And uh, yeah, send my love to the staff. And uh, we we speak soon. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. This was Chantal Richard, uh, the owner of Ashia Cheetah Conservation. And um, yeah, if you like the podcast, please follow us on uh, social media. I'mWilderness.de is the website, and I'm Wilderness Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.